What's good, horror fam? It's a new year, and I'm finally back with a new episode. Join Madeline Stanley and me as we take a journey through the looking glass of Mike Flanagan's Oculus on this, the 44th episode of Murders with Mertens. fan, best friends, and ghoulish nights, and welcome to the 44th episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, haunted objects, body horror, cosmic horror, folk horror, sci-fi horror, the horror adjacent, thrillers, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, thank you for the support. Don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. It certainly helps with the engagement. If you haven't already, maybe consider subscribing to the channel if you are so inclined. It's free to do, and you look cool doing it. Audio listeners, the show is also available on podcast services around the world, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so don't forget to leave a rating when you stop by. Enough of all that housekeeping, though, is I have the great pleasure of welcoming back to the pod for essentially its two-year anniversary, Mad Exposure herself, Madeline Stanley. Welcome back, Madeline. Hello. You were my very first guest, and I am so happy to have you back, because it's been a minute since we've done one of these, and it's Mm -hmm. always a good time. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for popping. Hey, was I the first, am I also the most guest? No, not yet. I think that still belongs to dim. Uh, he's got at least four episodes. Um, I'm coming for you, dim. Yeah, there you go. Y'all this is, uh, this is the third appearance for Madeline. So she's getting Mm -hmm. there. Um, God, who else? Mark Freeman's got like three or four. Yaz probably has three or four. Um, somewhere I've got notes with a table or whatever. <laughs> and all that. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, it's uh, great having you back on. What you been up to? You know, just watching movies all the time, logging everything on Letterboxd, and just trying to amass my collection of movies seen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have not been the best with Letterboxd uh, this year. I was really good with it last year. And um, this year I'm like, oh yeah, I watched that thing and I never logged it. I suppose you can log stuff and actually put a back date on it, I think. Yeah, you um, can. So I, I need to make that happen on a couple of things, but yeah. Otherwise I want to make use you of remember? it again this year. Um Kind of. If I don't log something immediately, it, there's no way I'm ever going to log it. That's why I'm like, it's like literally credits are going. I'm the annoying person in the theater that's like phone bright logging <laughs> into the letterbox immediately. Yeah, it's, um, you know, for me this year, you know, I was under the weather uh, for a good chunk of January and early February. And uh, I was also trying to like finish up Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, you know, four years after it was released, essentially. Uh, <laughs> I, I never got around to wrapping it up. So I, I needed to get that done. And I started Persona 3 Reload. And so these are some things that have taken some time out of movie watching. Um, so yeah, uh, I haven't been the best necessarily of uh, watching a ton of films this year. But I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, 
like we were talking about before we started recording, I just haven't been to the theater a lot. Um, not really since December being sick really took it out of me, man. It's, um, yeah, but, uh, need to jump back in. There's lots of good stuff right around the corner for Definitely. sure. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, you know, hold up things too much here because tonight we are taking a long look into the lasser glass with a dive into Mike Flanagan's Oculus from 2014 based on his short film, Oculus chapter three, the man with the plan and written by Flanagan and Jeff Howard. Uh, this is Flanagan kind of before peak Flanagan. Um, but you Mm -hmm. can absolutely see, you know, uh, this evolution between absentia and then Oculus and then hush and, um, Oh shit. What was the other film that released in the same year as hush uh, before I wake? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, there's, you know, some of the, you know, regulars that he, uh, of his stable of actors that he works with that appear in this. And, uh, I think this is his first feature film with the Newton brothers. Um, I'm not sure, but I do love, that's one of the things I love about Flanagan, which is like, it must be, a really good set to work on to work with him and the other people in it because it's you always see the same people coming back oh. and that always is like really high praise to a director for me like you see the same with nolan and other people yeah. where it's like oh if you have the a, a cavalcade of people who always want to work with you like that's usually a good sign yeah like this regular stable of actors this well you continue to return to um yeah you know scorsese's like that with a lot of people um, there's a lot of directors that, you know, kind of have that shtick, but it, it generally works for them. You know, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, it's cool. And I, I think there are plenty of people that are really appreciative to, you know, find themselves in that stable of actors and, uh, you know, look at Rahul Kohli. For example, it's, I, I think he's absolutely in love with working with this group of people. Um, yeah. and it's really paid off really well for him. You've gotten some, you know, between blind manor and midnight mass, for example, <laughs> those have been some really outstanding roles for him. So, uh, yeah. and house of usher. Yes. Yes. And, uh, Flanagan finally getting back into filmmaking instead of just miniseries. What is it? The life of Chuck, uh, yep. which is a short story of Stephen King's I have not read, but, uh, no, I haven't read it either. Apparently it is a story that goes backwards. Yeah. So at the end of Chuck's life, then you tells it backwards through the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless, uh, looking forward to it because again, it's the same group of people that we know and love and, you know, let, let's get this, let's make it an awesome movie. And then let's see what Flanagan wants to do with the dark tower. Um, because oh, gosh, <laughs> I am so like, I honestly, people have taken so many stabs at the dark tower oh, yeah. over the years, like whether they, they did it or they didn't do it. Obviously the Ron Howard, did tower not movie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think if anyone can do it, like I think Mike Flanagan can, oh, like yeah. I think he has the best understanding of um, Stephen King that we've seen any sort of director have. And this like way of, mm-hmm translating Stephen King dream logic in his world that just works really well. Yeah. He's been able to translate the untranslatable. I mean, look at Gerald's Mm -hmm. game. 
you know, I got reading that book in high school way back when and thinking to myself, I should not be reading this. Um, that was a book that I never imagined could make its way onto any screen. It's, I mean, it's a woman handcuffed to a bed for like 80% of the film. It's, and yet. It works. Yeah. And that being said, I love the Dark Tower series. I'm ready to see him do it. I would also, like, I want to see some more original stuff from Mike Flanagan. Oh, sure. Because Midnight Mass, freaking amazing. Oh, yeah. Oculus, one of my favorites. Like, I love these original takes. And I love him doing Stephen King, too. But I will always take more original uh, Mike Flanagan as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. He... he can write some really great character pieces and uh, you know, we're always going to get some amazing monologues out of them as well. That's kind Mm -hmm. of his shtick, but um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, some original stuff would be good. So maybe between uh, life of Chuck and, you know, whenever we get uh, the dark tower, it would be nice to see something original, but who knows? Who knows? It's I think the man's got plenty in him and uh, he's only only getting started. Really? It's exactly. And he also said he wants to get into video games. Oh, that's true. So that's true. Yeah, We'll see what happens with that. Mike, we're waiting. We're waiting for Mike Flanagan video game. Yes. Yes. Uh, We are putting some happy vibes out there into the universe for something like that to happen. Uh, We know it's not going to be a Kojima joint. I think you did plenty of digging for that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, fortunately or unfortunately, but um, yeah, I, 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 I'd rather see him kind of do his own thing ultimately. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we will see. Um, yeah, I mean, any other reasons why Oculus for your choice? So one of the things that draws me to Mike Flanagan in general, and then also is like very present in Oculus is like, what you ever have those like tropes or types, things that happen in movies that just like really like tickle your brain and you love mm-hmm. like m- two of the things are present here for me, which is like, multiple timelines and like pers- changing with your perspective on time and then also like basically not knowing what your reality is like i yes. think that's one of the scariest things that can happen in a horror movie like when you don't have a basis for reality like when you can't touch things and know what they are mm-hmm. like that means anything's fair game and anything can happen to you it completely rewrites the rules of like what you're experiencing and that's like absolute terror to to me (laughs) but i'll tell you the third act of this movie is that in spades but also Mm -hmm. it is so difficult to take notes on and you know really describe in any way because of all that back and forth yeah um losing your control of reality and not knowing for sure what's going on is yeah friggin terrifying um, that Steven Soderbergh film Unsane is one of those that kind of feels like that to me. Yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know, it's somebody who's, you know, placed in a mental institution, you know, basically against her will and told that she is not well when it's basically circumstances that are based, you know, kind of just profiting people that are keeping their, her there. And it's, that's scary as fuck. It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's 
Mm. So yeah, especially yeah, like at the end where you aren't sure like what timeline like are we are we the kids watching the adult perspective? Are we the adults watching the kid perspective? Is this real? Is it the mirror? Is it like, the two time periods know? bleeding together because yeah. of the you know supernatural aspects of the mirror? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's <laughs> well, it's it's so funny to me too because. Um, I have I have always really liked Oculus since I first seen it, but I hadn't watched it in a while until I watched it um, for this. And in between the last time I watched it and now, I've seen Haunting of Hill House, and I feel like it's so interesting to see so many parallels between Oculus and Haunting of Hill House. Like I feel like Oculus is amazing, but I feel like he really cranked everything from Oculus oh, yeah. up to eleven for Hill House and like perfected a lot of the the sort of um, story or like the emotional story beats and some of the technical stuff, the timeline things. Like I think of the, um, the bet neck lady and like that whole aspect of haunting of Hill house and how that's like maybe a more, not a more advanced, but just like a further, a further down. Yeah. An evolution. That's the perfect word. Yeah. Yeah. An evolution of this trope from Oculus. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, and like no wonder I love both of these so much. Like they're so similar yet different, but they really like eat off of each other. Yeah. And um I think that's such a crazy I don't know. The the Bedneck lady is one of the craziest reveals I have ever experienced that just like made me shocked and sad and Oh yeah. <laughs> amazed all at once. And I feel the similar there's like a there's definitely a similar thing that happens when watching Oculus where you're just like, I don't even know how to feel because I'm like impressed and surprised and also really depressed because it's Mike Flanagan. Yeah, it's you know, watching this again, you know, for a couple of times in the past couple of weeks here, um, it really makes me want to go back to his stuff that's between this and Hill House. So Hush, Before I Wake, uh, Ouija, Origin of Evil. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I want to see that continued evolution because yeah. Man Alive, the dude kills it. And, you know, it, I, I think we think of Peak Flanagan as everything from around like Hill House and uh, Doctor Sleep Forward. You know, it's because they they all, you know, not that they're all the same thing, but they all have all the Flanaganisms, you know, kind of cranked up to 11. Right. And I'm very curious to rewatch those films. And I I think all three of those are on Netflix right now, actually. If they're not, they're pretty easily available. But um, yeah, I, I just... I, I, I need to dig back into those for one thing. They're, they're all good films, you know, even if, you know, some of them aren't, you know, the greatest things that he's ever done necessarily, they're all enjoyable in their own way. And, um, exactly. yeah, I actually have a letterbox list. That's like ranking the Flanniverse. Oh, nice. Except that they're all good, except because <laughs> I think they're all good. <laughs> like, even though, even the, worst mike flanagan movie is still one it's still really amazing i I love how he has full-length films before that one but Mm -hmm. people are just like completely unaware of them and they're just not really accessible so you know yeah it it would be fun to go back and watch on midnight club 
you should watch Midnight Club, yeah. which was a very underwatched Flanagan series. I read a little Christopher Pike uh, during the 90s, during Love his him. heydays. So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, between that and R.L. Stein's Fear Street, that's, uh, you know, when I first started reading Stephen King, but I was like in fourth or fifth grade and my mom was like, nope, that's going to stop. That's what I gravitated <laughs> towards, uh, instead to kind of fill the void because, uh, yes. once you open that door, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, um, hard to stop gotta say mm-hmm. um but yeah i i probably started reading stephen king books way too way too young um but Same. yeah that's why we are the way that we are madeline and uh you mm-hmm. know we're, and probably mike too and yeah ab- absolutely <laughs> probably mike too um mm-hmm. yeah totally understood um well what do you say we jump into this Let's do it. Uh, yeah, we start things off with the drone of a good Newton Brothers score. And uh, we've got uh, a little girl and her brother peering around a door at this man walking around with a revolver. Um, you know, the, oof, it's very, very unsettling. Um, and you can tell they're looking for their window, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, well, they make a break for it only to find their way blocked. And... Uh, you know, the little boy calls out his sister's name in terror and we see this gun raised to her forehead, uh, but not by the original man, but a much younger man who ends up pulling the trigger. And then it's revealed that this is the young man's dream. And, um, well, it's the first time he's seen himself holding the gun and he is now the adult version of the little boy from the beginning. Um, yeah, you can absolutely see what we were talking about in the beginning here at the jumping back and forth, because that is going to be this movie in spades. Um, yeah, I also think like starting you in a dream is like kind of sort of denoting what you're going to see through the rest of the movie, where mm-hmm. it's like, there's never a sort of sense of place and reality, right? Like they're like, yeah. oh, Flanagan like starts you off in a dream. So you're basically always off off on the back foot or whatever that phrase yeah. is like, you're always kind of not really sure what's well, real. And I as love a viewer. when any property starts uh, something off, you know, in media res, right? Like in the, mm-hmm. you know, we're already going, we're somewhere in the middle of the story and uh, we are not holding your hand with it. We are just throwing you in the deep end. So great. Yeah. By all means, give us more. Um, and you know, he's basically telling this uh, thing about his dream to his doctor, uh, who is a great character actor whose name I can never remember. Um, but uh, it's, you know, kind of a shame that he's barely in this film, but he's good. It's, you know, he's mm-hmm. in tons of stuff. And again, for the life of me, I can't remember the dude's name. So apologies there. Uh, but yeah, his doctor tells him that this is good. It implies he's taking responsibility for his actions and overcoming the delusions of his childhood. Um, and while he's saying all this to the young man, we get this awesome match cut of the doctor, um, you know, shifting to telling, uh, the same thing basically to this hearing, uh, and giving us the exposition that the young man is about to turn 21, then he's going to be released from this mental facility. And we cut from here to this auction house where we're introduced to the adult Kaylee, 
uh, and our antagonist, the Lasser Glass. I, I love the, um, you know, the, the shot following her down the hallway and she's got her hair swinging back and forth like crazy. It's, um, um, yeah, Karen Gillan, uh, doing her best in this film to hide her Scottish accent and, uh, <laughs> sometimes succeeding, good, not so much, but you know, she, she's doing what she can. Uh, I think she does a better job nowadays than, uh, than she did way back when, but, um, but yeah, she, she's trying, she's trying real hard, but, uh, doing her best. yeah, she's, um, I love how they're introducing her as, you know, somebody who has sort of reclaimed a certain amount of power over, mm -hmm. you know, clearly some bad stuff that's happened in her life because, well, she's had a mission, right? Um, I, I guess we meet her fiance, Michael, here too, but, you know, whatever, because he's like the most forgettable character in this film. Um but <laughs> yeah he's kind of a non-entity honestly for the most part um, yeah i mean there's stuff that happens later but yeah he's mostly i'm just like hey it's that guy from one tree hill i didn't remember he was in this right um <laughs> <laughs> um also you know he I, I think he's kind of forgettable in the way that he is the stepping stone for her on her mission. His family yeah. owns this auction house. It's his last name on the door. It's mm -hmm. so clearly she has been using this guy, you know, maybe not always, you know, maybe she really is in love with him at this point, but there's, there's been a mission you know, since she was a little, well, girl. I think that, yeah, like that also speaks to the sort of like goes back. I feel like everything goes back to this. Like what is real? Like if your entire life from when you were, um, however old she was, I can't remember I the exact 12. age of when the incident 12, 12 or if your entire life from 12 onward is just this one mission. Like, can you really have like a true relationship with anybody yeah. else? Like, is that a real, what is real? Like, is it still real even though she's using him to get this? Like she obviously yeah. cares about him. And when he like later, when things happen to him later, she's obviously really upset. Oh yeah. But it's like, it is, it is a calling into question. Like the sort of simple one track mind pursuit of something really does lay waste to like everything else in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that happens in spades. Um, <laughs> we 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 we, yeah. get, we get the auctioneer giving us a brief history and description of the mirror as uh, Kaylee looks on and the score kind of just drones and uh, the auctioneer is this uh, Katie Parker uh, or is she in a different I don't know. role? I can't remember. But it's it, the auctioneer is one of uh, Flanagan's regulars. Uh, it was. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's somebody from uh, Absentia, uh, but um, yeah. Uh, fun again, little people sprinkled in throughout this whole thing. Um, and then we're back with Tim and his doctor as they discuss his release and Tim is packing, um, basically talking about how his sister's going to be picking him up, how she said something to him about having a job lined up for him and the doctors, you know, yeah, it's, that's great. That's great. Um, but the doctor reminds him that his own well-being is the most important thing. And, um, you know, 
Kaylee, you know, Tim had a support system. He he had this hospital for the past, you know, 10 years or so. Meanwhile, Kay, Kaylee was on her own. Uh, and he's basically just implying to Tim, she may not be good for him. And he needs to watch mm -hmm. out for himself at this point. Um, which is, you know, kind of dark, but also makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it is interesting, like, the framing of that. Because I kind of see, like, each... There is so much, like, um, context of, like, childhood trauma in this. And, like, how people, re like, respond to their own childhood trauma. Yeah. Where, like, she's, like, about getting revenge, right? She's only been thinking about this. And his... In his therapy and like being in the institution that he's in, he, they're kind of pushing onto him, just like forgive and forget, like yeah. just move on. Kind of recovery and, and how moving these are on. like two, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how these are very two different, very different ways to deal with the same like traumatic event. And I feel like this this movie poses like a really interesting question. If like either of those are actually a good way to respond to this, yeah, because <laughs> they they're. They're, they're kind of questioning, like, did this even really happen to you? Are you making it up sort of oh, that's, sort of thing? That's this movie in a nutshell. It, it's just mm. this fun character. Well, fun. It, it's this character study <laughs> on, it's you know, debatable. family trauma and, you know, mm -hmm. abuse at the end of the day. And what our minds do to, you know, kind of figure it out and, you know, deal with it at the end of the day. And, you know, for good or ill, really. It's, um, and, and they, you know, they're, they're pretty on the nose with a lot of it throughout, you know, basically the back half of the film. But, uh, but I, I still think it's, uh, just a beautifully put together story where all that's concerned. It's. Did you yeah. ever think like when you were watching it that maybe like the psychiatrist and that whole people were right and like they, it was all fake. Like the mirror is not evil, but it's, it is all just like him coping with things. I, that I think in that's entirely possible, but you see so much from Kaylee's perspective as well mm -hmm. throughout the film that, um, you know, it's hard to say that it's all Tim. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it, at the end of the day, I think there is plenty supernatural, supernatural happening. It's, um, but yeah, it's absolutely a take that I think somebody could, you know, make a strong argument. Mm. For yeah. I don't film. think that I was just curious, like what your perspective was. Cause I do feel like I'm, I think obviously I think the film predisposes you to believe the children also like they're kind of, I think that's the point of view of the film, but as also like, I am, I am aside from that, like predisposed to believe children. Cause I don't think that they have a reason to like be lying about that. Yeah. It's just an interesting thought to like, well, especially about such episode. horrific things. It's like, yeah. come on. <laughs> it's there's like an interesting episode of Buffy. Did you ever see it where I'm sure that um, I it's did just a one-off episode, <laughs> an episode where like, they're saying she's in a mental institution and all of Sunnydale where she's the slayer is like mm -hmm. fake and the mental mm -hmm. institution is real and they never really like close the book on it or say it either way and there's like a reading where you can just be like yeah that that all of the entire show of Buffy is happening in 
someone's mind and is like a delusion. And if you accept that, it's such like a intense thing to accept. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, what's the more believable thing that, you know, yeah. she's this chosen hero that, you know, is there to slay all the monsters and save the world or, you know, somebody basically excusing all the shit that, you know, is going around in their life. Um, yeah. Yeah. That absolutely. It's, I, I do remember that episode, not a lot of the details, but I definitely remember it. It's, yeah. oh, I was a Buffy fanatic. I mean, it, me too. It I'm wearing a Buffy shirt. Sense. Actually. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, there we go. There we go. Uh, unfortunately, it's a shame what they did when they uh, brought it to Netflix, how they like tried to make it letterboxed, even though it there's is a whole YouTube documentary you can go watch about how they screwed up the transfer. It's very interesting. It's fucked. It's, mm -hmm. you know, God, I, I would hate if they did that to Twin Peaks. Because I mean, the first two seasons, it's all four by three because it's from, you know, the early nineties. So yeah. Oh man, that would be horrible. Um, and thankfully they did not. So <laughs> I just get worried rewatching it that I'm going to like burn lines into my TV, um, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Some things are better off left alone. Um, mm -hmm. but Back at the auction house, we've got Milk Toast Michael yes. offering to come along with Kaylee to pick up Tim, but she declines. Um, and I love that during this conversation, she can hardly take her eyes off the mirror. Um, yeah, obsessed. Oh, yeah. Um, and then back at the hospital, uh, Tim is, you know, he's got his luggage. He's at the door and the guard is trying to buzz him through but he can't bring himself to like grab the door and open it. And, and the guard does the little, when you hear the buzzer, pull the door <laughs> thing, which yeah, it's like he, he gets it, dude, but you know, he's just, <laughs> you're full. really messing up this moment for me guard. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got a little trepidation here as far as leaving the hospital. And I mean, he spent the past 10 years of his life there. He grew up there. Of course, regardless mm -hmm. of his situation, he's going to feel a little rough about leaving, but, yeah. um, yeah, he buzzes him through and he heads outside and, uh, meets his sister and, you know, they, they embrace and, um, uh, you know, he's clearly very happy to see her. Um, and, uh, they go to lunch and she gives him a great big check, you know, his half of the estate and, um, this is where she lays a tiny bit of a guilt trip on him for uh, not allowing her to come see him in the more recent times. And mm -hmm. I think it's a little unclear, at least to me, if this was the hospital or him making this decision. It's Yeah, I had always kind of taken it like the hospital heavily influenced him to not see her yeah like it seemed like his therapist because i feel like that's like his therapist was like she she's making you worse like you can't get better and not believe in this stuff anymore if you have this person in your life who's constantly telling you that it really happened yeah and, and i'm very curious how much about her he has spoken to his doctor about it's 
you know, or how much of anything that really happened to him, he's told his doctor because, I mean, at a certain point, if you're telling the story in full, somebody's going to look at you and be like, you are fucking nuts, kid. Right. Um, Well, and I think you have that point in the movie later where he's kind of remembering things. I don't know why I put remembering in quotes. But, like, he has spent so much of his time trying to forget or kind of being pushed into forgetting, I think, by by the doctors. Like, that's not real. That's not really happened. Like, remember, this is what happened. He says something. I feel like the therapist said something along those lines. Like, remember, like, this is what really is true. And I think when you're, when you have the only adults in your life are the ones that tried to kill you and then the ones that are that are like normal and telling you that all of that was true like and you're a child you believe you believe the adults in your life so yeah. i think that's part of the reason why it probably i always guess it was his choice but heavily influenced by the people at that institution that he's at yeah uh likely so um this is where she also drops the bombshell that she has found the mirror and Tim is like, his face just falls. He looks mm-hmm. absolutely horrified. Um, and she explains that they only have a few days to keep their promise in killing the mirror. Um, and I think this is where we finally cut to 11 years earlier. And, uh, we've got Tim Kelly and their parents, uh, moving into their new home. Um, and it's basically the start of all this horror. Um, kids are playing laser tag and dad's trying to, uh, you know, business is business while mom, uh, the always fantastic Katie Sackhoff is losing. She's so good in this. Gosh, she's fantastic. Uh, I need to finish her, uh, recent episode of, um, uh, inside of you. Um, yeah, she has a podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes. It's, it's a good one. Oh yeah. She, ta- she talks movie. about her podcast on that, but no, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Rosenbaum's show that she's on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. they did a swap, right? I think they do. Yeah. 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 So I need to watch both really, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. I love that. She's, you know, had some success with star Wars here recently and, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, always love her from Battlestar Galactica back in the day. I think that's most people's in, uh, at least people in our age range, um, you know, for her. Not for me. It was Halloween H. No, it was Halloween. Which Halloween was she in? I can't remember. The one, <laughs> she was not. She was in the one with um, Tyra Banks. Oh, that's... Um... Not H2O, but the one after that. Um, yes. Yeah. Where it's like a reality show or whatever. Mm, she's yeah. in that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Love her in it. She screams a lot in it. Okay. And I, I, I think that's my first encounter with her, which I love that for me. Fair. It's I, somehow uh, around the time that those films were coming out, I completely missed that one because the vibe was definitely that these are not good. Um, and <laughs> she's good. You in it, but yeah. it's not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's yeah. You, you got to pick and choose with uh with uh, the Halloween films for sure. For sure. 
But yeah, she's kind of losing her mind with the movers because she's directing everything and nobody's really helping her. Uh, and this is where the movers bring in this over the top antique mirror that's all created in, and she directs them into the dad's office. She's like, watch out for the molding. And, uh, you know, because of course they're going to like scrape something if you don't tell them where to put stuff and all that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, this is where she confronts the father about how much money he's been spending on furniture. And he jokes about smoothing it over, uh, you know, with uh, some furniture of her own, like a three piece vanity or something like that. And they have this sweet little moment together where, you know, he basically calls her Ikea and she's like, I'm not Ikea. Yeah. And uh, I really liked that. I felt like that exchange is something that is such a small show. Don't tell moment of the fact that they obviously love each other yeah. and they have a good relationship. But she has that, like, underlying doubt that he, like, doesn't value her or see her as, like, beautiful. Like, that that she she thinks, she has this, like, self-doubt. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. sees her as Ikea furniture. She's got, you know, definitely some um, major uh, self-deprecation going on through a lot of this. You know, it's, uh, like, with her C-section scar and, mm -hmm. you know, just other shit. It's... But uh, I, I also love this scene because it shows his desk set up with the back facing the window. And then every other scene after this, the desk is <laughs> yeah, facing the other like way. And, yeah. and, and I, I think either in like first or second watch of this film, I'm like, is this being seen through the mirror's perspective or, you know, is it oh. flip-flopping things? But no, it can't be because of the direction it faces the window. So it would just be the whole room being reversed. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, chalk it up to them not having everything perfectly set. But I mean, he's got his computer and his phone set up and everything else. Come on. How do, how do you change all that wiring, right? Um <laughs> But yeah, my, I think it's so interesting too. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say minor technical error. That all, that's all it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I do feel like it's so interesting. Like a mirror being the thing, like it really reflecting back to you, like the mm -hmm. worst parts of yourself. Oh, yeah. And like how that's like, so it's like, it's so crazy to me because I feel like this is something that Mike Flanagan does really well, which is like, I feel like sometimes it's like so obvious, but so nuanced at the same time. And how is he able to always do that? Where it's like, it's it's somehow both where you're like, well, yeah, it's a mirror. Like it's reflecting back the worst things to you. Like, duh. But also like it's done in such a smart way that it doesn't feel like obvious to yeah. me. No, no, absolutely. Um, back in the present, uh, we've got Kaylee dropping Tim off at a hotel. Um, and I, I love how it's like a reasonably nice looking room, but she's got to dig at it. Like, you know, the guest room at her house with Michael is like so much nicer. And how dare you want to mm -hmm. just stay at a hotel? And she tries guilting him with his promise and everything. And, um, yeah. Well, she does uh, tell him that she's going to do her thing the following evening and she really wants him there, but you know, she takes off and basically leaves him sitting there on the bed, staring at himself in the mirror. And again, nice match cut because it shifts mm -hmm. back to the past. At this point, we have Marie 
Katie Sackhoff's character, uh, staring at herself in the bathroom mirror and dwelling on that C-section scar. And, uh, you know, back in the bedroom, she's got this whole back and forth with her husband, Alan, about, you know, does the scar look worse now? And, you know, he, he's actually really sweet about it and they get a little frisky, um, you know, christening the new, uh, the new bedroom, I guess. Um, and then we get Alan getting up in the night for a drink and he settles on a half drunk juice box sitting there in the fridge. It's got the, <laughs> the straw already inside it and everything. Um, that's that dad life. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Basically living off the scraps of your children. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a very, very good friend, John who, uh, yep. Basically his diet is uh, eating what his kids don't finish. Um, yes. Yeah. When you got three kids, ultimately that's enough of a meal for yourself, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, he trips over some moving boxes as he's working his way through the dark, uh, uh, front entryway. And we get our first shot of Kate Siegel, um, with those awesome glowing mirrored eyes. And it's almost so scary. Oh yeah. And it's almost blink and you'll miss it. Um, is this her first appearance in a Flanagan property or was she in any of his, uh, short films i can't recall i don't know actually uh it might be the first that was, that's really interesting that in. yeah um but that's he- another thing that i noticed whenever this being the first time that i've watched this since i feel like i like i feel like when i watched oculus the first several times i didn't re like i didn't have as a good of mastery over like mike flanagan and i wasn't into like his work, his oeuvre. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, she's always in it. It's his yep. wife. Um, she's always fantastic. And then I was like, I didn't realize she was in this one too. As like both the thing in the mirror and like they show her picture too. Yeah. When she's going through the mirror's past victims. Um, yep. Marisol Chavez. Of course, we don't, uh, mm-hmm. we don't get her name quite yet, but uh yeah, she just kind of disappears in a blink, and he walks into his office to investigate. Uh, he flips on the light, and he sees that he's got the juice from the jukes box all over his shirt. Uh, and this is where you notice that the desk is reoriented the other way, now facing the window. Um, it's just weird. But, hey, it stays put after here. The desk, it, it would be really we, funny if it were in a different position in every single shot for the every time. Film. But um, Do we think the mirror is just spinning the desk around? Could be. We know the mirror can move things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or make people move things when they don't realize that they're the ones moving mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah. So that could be, you know, maybe after the movers left, it uh, had him scooch some things around. Who knows? Um, yeah, back uh, in the present, uh, we've got Kaylee waking up in bed to a barking dog, and uh, she heads downstairs only to walk into her father's office. And it's funny because uh, she doesn't even live in this home any longer, but uh, yeah, she's suddenly back in her childhood home and she stares at herself in the mirror, slowly approaching it. And then she turns around and her father's there, they're choking her out. And of course it's a nightmare. And, uh, you know, Michael wakes up and he tries to calm her down. Apparently Kaylee has night terrors. 
Uh, Which wouldn't you? Yes. Uh, I mean, going through a trauma like this, it's entirely yeah. possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it also just says so much about this character that she is somebody who regularly experiences night terrors. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we uh, just, you know, he tries to calm her down and I think she even goes back to sleep and that's that. Um, next day at the auction house, uh, Michael confronts her about the crime scene photos she's been printing at work. Can you imagine printing those out on the community printer? And not immediately <laughs> going to pick them up. So let's put it this way. The color printer at work is our printer. You know, in case we mm -hmm. have to, you know, print up, you know, design uh, pictures or whatever, right? And the amount of printouts that people send to that printer and don't bother picking up and all the color ink that gets wasted is just so frustrating in and of itself. So, you know what? I'm on board with Michael here. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I get scared. Uh, I don't work in an office anymore, but I, when I used to, I would be scared to print like an Amazon return label, let alone a picture of a mutilated corpse. I know. <laughs> like, I, I don't like doing personal stuff. Yeah. I, I don't like doing personal stuff with, uh, you know, work stuff. It's, you know, I got this coworker that says, you know, whenever I'm bemoaning not being able to catch a package delivery at home, you know, she's always like, why don't you just have it sent here? And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't feel kosher. It's, I don't know. <laughs> For whatever reason, I, I I don't feel comfortable with that. So, you know. Although I always wondered if maybe it was a commentary for her that like now that she's got the glass, she doesn't care about working there anymore. So she's like not maybe. putting on a front or a face. Like she's just like, well, it's not like she doesn't have money because her dad had a lot of money and they obviously got a big chunk of the estate yeah so she's like well now that i have what i want i don't oh, have to right. pretend to be this other person anymore i can just print random crime scene photos to I mean, a printer here are my notes i've got to be fair there's some awful nepotism going on here and i bet all her coworkers <laughs> yeah, hate true. her so <laughs> i mean clearly she's sleeping with the boss she's got a fairly high level position at this auction house so yeah her coworkers hate her guts um, mm -hmm. so she smooths things over as he questions her, uh, about transferring the mirror. Uh, he's like, I thought the warehouse guy said we weren't going to send it out for any repairs. And she's like, Oh no, Warren said it's okay. And, um, yeah, down in the storage room, um, Kaylee confronts the mirror as, um, Warren, uh, ultimately goes to get moving supplies and, you know, he kind of does the same thing with her. He's like, Hey, I thought we weren't sending this out. And she's like, Oh yeah. The, uh, the new owner, uh, needs, uh, to have it checked over by this third party or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, I feel weirdly bad for this guy. Cause I feel like he says something like, well, we could do it. Like, and she's like, no, we have to send it someplace else. Right. And I feel like he's like, Oh, okay. Right. Right. Um, but I, he should be lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky not to deal with it. Yes. I think everybody at this place of business is lucky that uh, they don't have to deal with this thing any longer than they have to. Um, so he goes off to get some moving supplies for this thing. And then we see the lesser glass fucking with her for the first time, really. Um, yeah. You know, it, it does the thing where there's um, 
some statues with sheets uh, or tarps or whatever draped over them uh, behind her. And they kind of look like ghosts. And she catches one of them sort of moving out of the corner of her eye. And she yeah. does the old horror trope of walking up to them and slowly ripping off the sheets one by one. And she gets a little jump scare from Warren uh, behind her. And yeah, every, everything's cool. Yeah, you know, we got we're getting some guys to, you know, help move it. And um I feel like this is such a good introductory scare mm -hmm. for and it like really I feel like sets the rules or stakes for the mirror, which is like not only can it change what's already there, right? It's making the statues move, but it also added in things that weren't there. Like there was a third statue in the mirror that wasn't there I... in life. So it's like very subtly kind of telling you, okay, like it's it's changing what's there. You're seeing a reflection of yeah. something that's different than real, but also it's actually adding in things into reality that don't exist. Yeah, and, and in some cases, it's not so much that it's changing reality, but it's just changing your perception of reality. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that later. Which but, is important, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, we're <laughs> still down there in the basement or ground floor or whatever it is. It's, uh, the storage room. Uh, when Tim calls, uh, Kaylee, uh, as Warren's people are wrapping things up and, you know, he didn't really like how he left things with Kaylee the night before and he wants to talk and she suggests that, well, they meet at the house and he's like, Oh, uh, what's your address? And she's like, no, the house. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's time to go to their childhood. I can't believe he went back. I like, I feel know. like it's crazy. Like, ugh, it's just crazy that he went. I don't know if I would be able to. Yeah. While she's finishing up on the phone with him, uh, we see the warehouse people loading this thing into the back of her SUV. And I love how it's, they're not even going to be transporting this thing upright. Like you typically do with a big piece of glass. I mean, this yeah, thing would be, the yeah, they're just shoving it in the back of an SUV. Like it, she's picking something up from home Depot and you know, you know that by the time she gets where she's going, it's going to be broke as shit, but no, no, well, it's of course also not. Like not a particularly nice SUV. Like it's not a, it's not like a it's not like a Honda Civic, but it's also not like a Escalade or something. Like it's just kind it's of not like an super average big. Color. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where do they think it's like she's just gonna drive it to some place? That's so strange. I guess but I love it too. But I, I, I just don't care. Yeah. So she's watching them load this up as she finishes on the phone with Tim. And you see over her shoulder there's a plant there in the warehouse that is dying. And it's the cool little transition between the warehouse and then eleven years ago. And and her mom tending to all these dying plants and she doesn't even yeah, speak. Not knowing it. What's yeah. Her. She doesn't even speak in the scene, but you know, she's perplexed obviously. Um, and we cut to Alan in his office and uh, he's sitting there at his desk and kind of looking at the mirror and going back and forth between work and the mirror. And he hears this whispering and, um, so creepy. Oh yeah. And, uh, the kids they're playing laser tag outside. And, uh, and I love how this is the early aughts and laser tag apparently was still a thing. I, I had no idea that it was still a thing. Uh, cause that, that's very much an eighties thing to me. Um, but whatever. I like playing laser tag. I guess. Um, 
But yeah, Kaylee hides in the landscaping by her dad's office window, and she happens to look over her shoulder and she sees Kate Siegel with her dad. And then Tim sneaks up and shoots her from behind and they run off. Um, and then that night at dinner, uh, Kaylee's whining about not having a cell phone. Um, she calls her mother by her first name. And I, I love, <laughs> I love Marie's reaction to that. Mm. You know, Oh, sure. Now I'm going to run out and grab you on right now. Right. <laughs> love of my yeah. life. Fruit of my loins. I feel like this is says. such a good, like setup of the family dynamic oh, as yeah. well. Like it just feels like a regular family like regular problems that are about to spin out of control oh yeah except it's already starting because alan is completely distracted and he's kind of chewing at his nails and marie sort of calls him out about it to her daughter without saying anything directly to him and this is where um kaylee just then pipes up with the ultimate little kid um you know uh, fucking up your parents' life, uh, comment of, Hey dad, who was that lady in your <laughs> office today? <laughs> and, um, this, this little set of scenes too, also kind of put in my mind, like, I think something that we'll see later too, which is like how isolated this family is from everyone else. Like she doesn't leave. Like she works in the home cause mm -hmm. she's like, taking care of the home like the kids don't go to school or anything they're just at home all day i think it's I think taking summer. place in the summer yeah 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 and, and, and like and even though it's like literally the suburbs they yeah. have only in the entire film one interaction with the neighbor exactly and i feel like that's i mean it might be because of budget but mm -hmm. i feel like it feels Likely. very intentional to me which is like when you have family problems like this it is so isolating yeah. and it's and it feels impossible to tell other people and um it it's also easy a lot i think easier to have these like traumatic things happen when there's no one else around and to feel like what's what's real like they'd never interact with other people yeah. i just think that's a really interesting piece of it yeah um again Great little uh, study on family trauma and uh, so on. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we get the lovely comment from Katie Sackoff. Yeah, dad, what lady? Um, <laughs> and he just kind of shrugs it all off and everybody's like kind of cool with it. And I, I think, um, I think he's grabbing a Band-Aid out of a kitchen drawer at this point because mm -hmm. uh, the nail that he's chewing on started bleeding um, and we get this fun crossfade between the, um, you know, like 2002, 2003 kitchen and the 11 year later kitchen, which is slightly updated, but the camera's in the same position and everything. And Tim's standing there in the middle of the kitchen. Um, and this is where his sister walks in the door with a uh, dog, um, I love how she got this dog to basically torture it and prove the malice of the mirror, but it's like a little mm. Boston Terrier or something. It's <laughs> it's not even like a mutt. It's it's no. like a fairly nice dog that she got for this purpose. I feel like it, I feel like she probably asked the the art guy for a dog, like her her boyfriend or her fiance. 
It's either that um, or she was, went to the he to was like, rescue and is like, I need the cutest, most lovable <laughs> dog possible because it's going to be torn to shreds by a possessed object. Um, I, don't, I don't think she said that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I no, want to put a pastor no. this character. Um, but yeah, that said, um, you know, they have the little exchange about, you know, how the dog doesn't have a name and she just calls it dog. Um and yeah, uh, she suggests that he take a look around the house while she gets a couple of things set up. And, uh, yeah, he, he walks up to the parents' bedroom, the master bedroom, and he has this flash of the chain attached to the wall, yeah. which clearly isn't there any longer. But, um, mm -hmm. but again, the, you know, what's real and what isn't, um, um, yeah, yeah, and like the little sprinkling of these little details, like the plants and the chain, that mm -hmm. do get explained a lot more later. But you're kind of like left wondering, like the chain, like why are these plants dying? Like you can kind of make inferences, but I love how it's kind of like put in there as a like preview of things to come. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, Kaylee walks into the room behind him and talks about how the home just kind of sat on the market for like the five, six years that she was in the foster system. And then it became hers when she turned 18 and how she was the only person in the freshman dorm who was a homeowner. And, you know, it's, um, it was a weird life. And, uh, yeah, this, this whole, like her, her whole like growth and like how she is, is like so I feel like she plays it so well and like her character is written so well because it's just like very um indicative of a person who had to deal with that like she had to grow up so fast because she was thrown into the foster system and like deal with this like trauma that she was dealing with completely by herself mm -hmm. and I feel like you see it like in this next scene where she's like okay I have these cameras and I have all this stuff and like I'm gonna do everything in my power I sure am in control. Yes. Yeah. That I, and everything is perfect and no one can say they didn't believe me. And I feel like it's like a scene that, sh that is like really heartbreaking to me of like seeing this child <clears throat> who was, who had all this horrible stuff happen to them and no one believed them. Mm -hmm. And so they spent their life being like, this is what I'm going to have to do. Everything perfect. That no one cannot believe me. Right. And it's just kind of heartbreaking. And like, I, I, it's another way I feel like it's very sh much shown and not told sort of aspect of the movie where it's like, that is how a lot of people respond to those things where they're like, no one believed me. Like, obviously further in the movie, she even gets the neighbor and he doesn't believe her. Right. And she's like, but if I do everything perfect, if I have all these redundancies and all these all these timers and videotapes and all this stuff and the and dog and all these things like finally there will be proof and people will believe that I went through all this stuff. Yep. And uh, clearly it all bites her in the ass, but uh, yeah, Karen Gillan is fucking amazing in this film. Um, mm -hmm. She, she's great. I loved her to death on Dr. Who back in the day. And uh I was glad that she had an opportunity like this. Although I feel like this movie was not like overwhelmingly loved. Um, you know, I, I think it got some decent reviews, but you don't hear people talk this one up mm -mm. as far as like movies from 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, she's, I hope it gets some reappraisals. Yeah. Like as, as Flanagan has kind of, like we said, like 
broken into like mainstream i feel mm -hmm. like with hill house with Bly, with midnight mass like i feel like hopefully people will um yeah. come back and rewatch because it is i think one of those hidden gems i think because oh, yeah. it's also like distributed by wwe or something yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> so Blumhouse like, and, yeah yeah such a weird little movie that didn't quite make it out and i honestly don't even remember how i saw it i'm sure i just like picked on it randomly from like, um, netflix or something i'm pretty but. sure that it's something that uh uh, my my ex-wife and I rented through the the blockbuster DVD mailer thing uh, mm -hmm. way back when. I, I've got a list of films uh, from that era that era that I can probably check that against. But um, but uh, yeah yeah, um, I, I'm pretty sure that's how I got around to it because I did not see it in theaters, but. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's uh, and and I clearly did not have the kind of appreciation that I have for it now at the time, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I, again, it's kind of a hidden gem, like you said. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so Kaylee, she gets Tim to at least help her bring the mirror into the house. And, and again, I, in my notes, I have, I can't believe it survived the trip in the back of her SUV and, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, they kind of struggle with it into the house and they lean it against the wall of the office. And he's like, I don't know how you were ever going to get this in here yourself. And she's like, well, I always thought that it would be the two of us doing this. So, you know, um, so they lean it up and this is where Tim first notices her massive setup of all these Macs and you've got the anchor attached yeah. to the ceiling and you know, all this shit everywhere. And, you know, she's got like stacks of bottled water and a ton of apples and like a, you know, a big tote filled with power bars and shit and, you know, plants everywhere. And I think he's a little overwhelmed at this point. Um, it's a lot. I do love how her setup is mirrored, by the way. Like, yes, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's mirrored perfectly symmetrical the in the room. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and she just launches into documenting her plan to a camera and mm -hmm. Tim is just like in shock at this point. And, you know, he, he, um, he eventually does try to stop her to talk about it, but she just continues, uh, detailing the known victims of the lasser glass. And she has done her research. Um, she's going down this just litany of people from sometime in like the 1800s onward. And as she's uh, speaking into the camera, she gets to a victim that had an Australian shepherd. And at the moment that she mentions the dog, she has this flash of her childhood dog trotting by the entrance of the office. Mm -hmm. And then one of the alarms goes off and breaks her out of her reverie there. And, um, it's the one that's to remind them to eat. And the whole point of these alarms to hydrate and eat is that many of the victims were left to their own devices and either starved to death or died of dehydration in situations where 
either there was somebody that ate really well, or, uh, in the case of the one victim, she died in a bathtub filled with water, but died of dehydration. Um, so they take their break to, you know, eat their power bars or whatever. And while they're snacking there, Tim asks her who it is she's talking to on the camera. And she's like, well, it's everyone who didn't believe them. Everybody that made fun of them over the past 11 years, because, you know, ultimately, you know, people did find out it was a well-known case. It's, and, you know, of course she's the weird one at that point. And basically everybody that called her dad or Tim a murderer and, uh, Tim, you know, when Tim denies that everything, you know, really happened and says that their dad was a murderer, she slaps the shit out of him. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And, you know, well, I also was like this once again, where it's like, she's like, you really don't remember. Cause I feel right. like she's like, this is the only thing I've thought about for the last 10 years. Right. And like you're here pretending like, Oh, do you really now actually remember? I thought you were just trying to like, I don't know. It's just interesting how differently they responded to what happened yes. to them. And I feel like it, I think she plays her sort of like revenge very well, which is like, I don't feel like it's just for her. Like, like you're saying, like, she's like, I want to prove to the people who think you're a murderer because you saved my life. Like, she's yeah. like, if, if he hadn't shot their dad, then well, she would be dead. And future spoilers it's not so much that he shot her dad, her father, their, their father depressed his finger on the trigger. Mm. You know, it's, he just happened to be holding the gun. That's all. But yeah, it's at the end of the day, I, I do appreciate that more than just destroying the mirror, she's got something to prove. So you know, and it, I think even destroying the mirror comes from a very like almost altruistic place because she's like, I just don't want this to happen to anybody else. Yeah. Like, I think that's one of those things too, where you know, with dog, with her, with her husband, even with um, his name's Tim, right? Yeah. Is it Tim? Timbo. Um, that she kind of hasn't made any new relationships, like serious ones. She's like this mirror is like connected to me and I don't want to put that on anybody else. And, and at the end of the and day, think, all of this is her basically finally dealing with her own trauma in like a real way. Yeah. You know, she's had her plan all these years. She's done the research. She's gotten herself to this position, but has she really done anything to deal with this? Not really in a real way until this moment. So yeah. Um, well, isn't that like also another thing about like being a child and being like, I have no power in this situation. If I can just be an adult, I can do all have the that things. agency. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's again, this is a lot. It's for, it for such a uh, on paper, simple film about a haunted mm-hmm. mirror. It's, there's a lot going on. And, uh, and again, that's just the, the, the Flanagan-ness of all of this. It's, there's a lot more under the surface. There's a hell of a lot going on. Um, yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Cause like, I have, always, I have liked this movie for a lot of years. Um, 
but it is like when when you when you're planning to talk about a film like i know you do this like you watch it a little bit differently like a little yeah. bit more critically oh yeah and i suddenly i'm like as like a person who experienced some different forms of like childhood trauma i'm like oh no wonder i like really identified and like grasped with this film like upon a more critical viewing like I feel like I had always been picking things up but upon my latest several critical viewings I'm like oh my gosh like I really relate to this film in a lot of ways and I think that's something that like is part of the reason I love Flanagan in general because he has a lot of similar themes throughout his different movies and television that sort of thing where I'm like there is something underlying that obviously draws me in that there's like this well of experiences that yeah. whether they're not exactly the same, but they draw from the same place that I feel like he is so able to display and show you in a way that feels so true to your own experience, but is also like safe to experience. That's not like as viscerally like traumatic as I think some it could be. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's um let's put it this way. His stuff, while sure there's gore in plenty of his properties, but and, and there's often very specific, very unsettling scenes of gore that happen. But at the end of the day, this is not torture porn. This is not no over the top. We're not watching like new French extremity. This, um, mm -hmm. it, it's done in a, a much more easily digestible way that I don't know. It's just, I, I would love to see him do just a straight drama someday. Mm hmm. And well, I, I think I feel like the life of Chuck Chuck's supposed. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's not supposed to have very many horror elements. Yeah, it's but a kind of a ghost story, supposedly, mm -hmm. especially like in one specific time period of the story. But I think it might be the closest thing that we get to a straight up drama out of him, mm -hmm. at least so far. Um, don't get me wrong. I would love it if he just, you know, kept doing horror in perpetuity. But um, but I, I just, I'm very curious to see him try his hand at something like that. Just a straight up, you know, just emotionally mm -hmm. charged drama because he's got the chops. It's, yeah. and not that I think horror makes any of that less than, and this is something that we've talked about quite a bit that so many people that we know talk about in that horror gets a bad rap. And that it's so, you know, cheap and easy and titillating. And, you know, it, a lot of the serious aspects of it are easily discounted by, you know, <clears throat> serious critics. And, mm -hmm. and for that reason, a lot of horror films have gotten really bad reviews in, you know, their day. But, you know, years later, they often get reevaluated for, you know, the, the, the more serious stuff that's under the surface. So yeah, it, again, not trying to discount his horror directing his horror, right? No, no, no. But yeah, would love to see him take a serious, uh, dramatic stab at something, uh, so to speak. Um, well, I honestly, for me, I feel like it, it's actually harder to take something like, on its own, this story is scary. Like, it's yeah. intense. But to make a coherent other additional story on top of it, 
that is horror, I feel like that's like you're working at multiple levels. It's oh, yeah. is that like layered narrative and that layered meaning that I think is so powerful. That like, yeah, I'm also interested to see what he does with like a straight drama because I feel like there will still be a lot of layers and nuance. Oh, yeah. Maybe and there will be its own level of horror to it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like there's uh, a, a subset of people, you know, a lot of the normies that will mm -hmm. ultimately take something like that more seriously. And at the end of the day, that will expose him to more people. And, yeah. you know, not that I think he needs to, you know, uh, sell out or anything like that. I, I think he's got plenty of fandom. I think he's doing very well with his own production company and everything. It's just, mm -hmm. I, I, I want, you know, I want, uh, have I told you about our Lord and Savior, Mike Flanagan? Uh, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> I will never um, stop talking about Mike Flanagan. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I, I just, I, I want to see more of the masses get into his stuff. And I, Me I, too. I think he's got a long future with that. It's, you know, don't get me wrong. He's somebody that, you know, didn't really get going until a little bit later in his life. Um, you know, he probably only would have been, you know, in his early to mid thirties when, uh, he put out absentia and, uh, you know, later Oculus. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a late bloomer for a lot of people. Um, but, uh, I, I think he's got plenty in him. So let's, mm -hmm. let's keep at it, man. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, we, you and I are going to be at the theaters day one oh, for every new always. Atlanta film. Absolutely. <laughs> we will binge like crazy uh, on his new home of Amazon, um, whatever it ends up being, whether that's uh, Dark Tower or something else. But uh, yes, he has parted ways with Netflix and is all about that, uh, the Bezos bucks. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, I'll follow you anywhere, Mike. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's see from there. They go back to recording again. And this is where she catches up with their own family's trauma. And she starts detailing, um, their move in and what started happening to their family. And Tim's just, kind of done with this at this point. And he's just suggests that they smash the mirror now. And Kaylee actually encourages him and he picks up a stool and he goes to do it, but stops himself essentially to call her delusional and, um, you know, kind of call her out on everything that's happening here. And, you know, she, to a certain degree kind of puts it back on him. Like, are you sure it's not the mirror stopping you saying all this? And you know, it, this is where she details the final part of her plan, the kill switch. If they don't continually reset a mechanical timer, there's a weighted anchor hinged on the ceiling that will release and swing down and shatter the mirror. Um, and she demonstrates this in horrific fashion with the anchor swinging down and punching through the drywall, which already had its original scars from her uh, test that happened prior to us <laughs> yeah. being there. Uh, but it is, um, it is violent. It's, and I it's, do think this is one thing that makes me sad for the story and where it goes, which is like, because she is so obsessed with being with, with showing people, and um, with like 
proving her family's innocence and and like that she was right like she couldn't have just like done the anchor right away and I'm like what would have happened if you hadn't felt that need and I understand the need to like prove to everyone that you're yeah oh god right yeah. and these things were real but it's also like oh it's so heartbreaking it's so tragic to just be like, it, because you wanted to get all this proof and show people and like clear your family's name, like you, all you just the things that had happened to be happened. right. You just had to be and right. And it's like, I get it. I, I don't oh, think she's I, wrong for doing that. I totally understand. But it is sad. It's I know. so tragic. In some ways, it's kind of a horror trope, right? You just, you just couldn't do the thing. You just, you couldn't do the thing, right? But also, I get it. You, you wouldn't have much of a story if, uh, you know. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, I get her motivation for it all. It, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, from here, we shift, uh, back into the past where Alan is working at his computer. He is kind of irritated by the bandaid on his fingertip. I mean, seriously, anytime you have to wear a bandaid on a finger and you need to type, it's the worst thing in the world. Right. Yes. Um, so this is where we truly see the mirror at work uh, in like horrific fashion so he takes the mandate off and he starts typing again but then like five seconds later he looks back down to find that it's still on his finger he looks over to where he put the band-aid on his blotter it's not there anymore and he's like all right and, and he goes to you know he's probably thinking that he's tired he's working lawn or whatever you know he's coding or whatever he's supposed to be like a uh, software engineer or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he goes to pull at it and try to get it off his finger and he can't seem to get it off. So what does he grab to help himself with this of all things, a staple remover. And it's so bad. He just starts going to work on this band aid until Midway through yanking it off, he realizes that he's dug in and he's yanking his own fingernail off. So the thing is, I think that's so perfect about this. And I think is so similar across the whole movie, which is like so much of like what the mirror does is so simple. Like it's such small, but impactful things. Yeah. Like it's like, what how that's like a horrific thing like oh yeah. that is so painful so terrifying you're like what the heck but it's ultimately like the scheme of things right it's a very like it's a very minor thing yeah. and i think that's what is so like what makes it so scary and so tense through the whole movie which you're like i don't know what's real and also like the the things are so small and insidious it's not like you're like the mirror's not like making that you the stab yourself word for this. And I was about to say that as well. It's so insidious yeah. because as mm-hmm. he's grabbing another band aid and wrapping up his wound, you hear whispering of it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt. It's which if you don't actually hear it as you're watching it, it's clear as day in the sub, um, you know, the closed caption. Um, yeah. But uh, well, I, that's another thing. Like the audio throughout this is so cool. Like there's oh, yeah. always when we do the mirror that like low grade, like 
humming like something yeah 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 and it's so that's like another like very insidious thing it's like that small thing that just makes you feel uncomfortable you're like ooh, why why am i feel like why am i so tense and the music and like the sound really adds to that like unease feeling well and it's so funny too with the the fingernail thing because this mirror like constantly does the thing of it presents you with something horrific but then is it real is it not um clearly he does rip his own fingernail off um and he kind of wills away the pain thanks to the influence of the mirror but there's drops of blood left on his desk blotter for sure um and he kind of finishes with this experience and just happens to look to the side and he sees this book, um, lying there opened, but, um, you know, spine side up there on the floor, on the floor in front of the mirror. It's just the one book. He walks out to go talk to his kids and they're watching like cartoons or something. And he drags them into the office to scold them for screwing around with his books. And when he brings them back in, there's like 20 books laid out and almost like layered, like shingles on the floor in this pattern. And, you know, he, he's like, come on guys, I hear you running around in here at night. And, they're like, we did not do this. Also, why would we do this? Like, this is I'm, the dumbest thing that you think we're doing, Dad. You think sure, we're off kids fucking around, <laughs> but you know, it's it, it's very much like this Ghostbusters type thing, like you know, the book stacking in the beginning of the film in the yeah. library, right? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, and he pushes them out of the office and he's like, stop coming in here. Stop fucking around with my stuff. And also whatever you're doing to your mom's plants, leave them alone. <laughs> he just locks the door in their faces. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we shift back to the present from here where Tim is trying to explain the plants away. And Kaylee starts torturing a small dog by uh, placing it in its uh, crate in front of the mirror, but also throwing a sheet over it. I think that's for her own benefit. So she doesn't have to watch. Yeah, I think she feels guilty. Yeah. And again, they found the cutest fucking dog ever for this, right? This sweet little Boston terror terrier and, mm -hmm. um, or close enough to one if it was some kind of a mutt. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, <sighs> Tim is trying to explain things away and we shift back to the past and Mason, their great big dog is not well. It's like a lab or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. one of those big dumb family dogs. Right. And, um, the dog is not well. It's just kind of lying there on its side. And, uh, the kids are like trying to get it to, you know, do the stuff like chase the stick and, you know, get up, let's run around. And you know, it's not happening. Um, and we get Marie confronting Alan about buying a gun. I feel like there's a missing scene in here somewhere that explains that he bought the gun because of the kids saying that they saw a woman in the house or something like that. And yeah, I also wondered about that. Yeah, it's it's weird, like right? Gun. 
I mean, I think it's, like, right, because they have to introduce the gun at some point to explain yeah. why there's a gun later. But it does seem weird. Yeah. Like, it's, it feels a little bit out of place. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, he relents and he's like, okay, I will store it somewhere safe, unloaded, which I'm sure will come. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure will come in real handy when we actually need it, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. just being an ass about it. But again, you know, it's typically how you really should store a gun because it's just not safe with kids in the house. It's yeah. Because kids are little shit. Especially with they, these kids stacking these books like this. You know, right, they don't know right. what they're going to do with the gun. And what do the kids spend all day doing? Playing laser tag. If they find <laughs> a gun, you know, they're going to fuck around with it. Because these little shits, you know what they're going to do, right? It's, um, and as she walks away from him, he, she hears him call her a grotesque cow. And she turns around yeah. with one of these excuse me type of reactions. And he's like, I didn't say anything. And I mean, we know it's the mirror fucking with them in one way or another, either it's the mirror prompting him to actually say it or the mirror making her think that he is saying it or some mm -hmm. kind of combination of the two who knows, but just the hurt look on her face is something else. It's oof. It's well, and it's, and we know that the mirror is praying. I think the reason it works so well, especially with the mom, which is like, it's preying on the, the things that she's already insecure about. Yeah. Like she's so, I feel like this movie is such like an interesting, has something so interesting to say about like motherhood as well. And like how moms relate to their family and their partners. Like, when she's a stay-at-home mom, like, he goes and golfs and does other things. She never leaves right. the house. Like, we never see her leave. And she's like, oh, now that I've given you these kids, like, you don't think I'm beautiful anymore. And, like, you don't think I'm smart. And, like, you don't, like, I have no one to talk to. Because right. I feel like so much of, so much of this whole movie would be saved if she had a friend or any family member to rely right. on. To be like... My husband's being so weird, like, my kid said there was a random woman in the house, and now he's calling me a grotesque cow, and, like, he won't leave his office, and her, if she had a sister or a mom or anybody. Maybe any, it could you know, be, friend. like, uh, the 90s era Dennis Miller character, where he's, like, the friend in the thriller who discovers something about the plot and ends up being killed by the killer halfway through. Um, yes. You know, the mirror ends up trapping Dennis Miller in the office and offs him. Uh, something like that. Um, but it's like, there is that isolation yeah, of again, motherhood that yeah. I've heard from so many mothers where it's like, oh, because she had no one else. She just believed, like, she starts taking that on because of the mirror's supernatural powers and it's just being a mirror of what happens in, like, normal life but intensified times a thousand, which is like, you just need that one person in your life to be like, girl, you're beautiful. You're amazing. Like, and if your husband thinks you're going to scout, like just move out of there. Like, you yeah. have to stay with them. I mean, and like, clearly it's Katie Sackhoff. So she is a very pretty woman. It's she's stunning. You know, yeah. I mean, kind of in an intense way, uh, but, but <laughs> she could definitely that's also, ass, Oh, absolutely. I think that's hot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Step on me, Katie. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. You just, you feel for her in that moment. And then um, 
we get, uh, it's either that night or later on. It doesn't have to be that night, but it kind of feels like it should be. I don't know. But Mason is having a fit, barking his buns off in front of the office doors. It's the middle of the night. Clearly, Alan is in the office working because they're glass, you know, French doors. And you can see the lights on. Um, when she goes to reach for the dog and the doorknobs, the dog bites her. And, you know, she yells at Alan, um, and ultimately he finally comes to the door after she hears like some whispering back and forth inside. But he, when he opens the doors, he's in there alone and she's like, were you going to do anything about the dog? He's like, what do you mean? And so he never heard the dog going nuts outside. It's oof. Um, Yeah. You're just like, what is happening here? Uh, yeah. I, I can't remember how that scene exactly ends, but. Uh, Doesn't he leave and then the dog keeps barking at the door and she puts it in or is that separate? That's scene? that's a separate scene. That's like the next day. But um, okay. yeah, um, he basically like closes the door to keep working or whatever and shuts her out. It's. Again, lovely metaphors for, you know, their marriage and everything that's happening here. But, um, yeah, it's the next day or another day where Mason is driving Marie nuts. She's cleaning like an accident on the floor on one of the rugs. And, uh, Alan had left to go golfing with, uh, some of his clients. Um, so it's like a, business golf outing type thing, ostensibly. Um, and the dog is again, barking his buns off at the office doors. And she's like, fine, you want to go in there go in there? And she shuts him in, but the doors lock and we hear whimpering inside and she can't open the doors, but just leaves the dog in there and we see time passing and the kids are sitting outside the office door and Alan comes back home and you know, he walks in the door and he wonders what the kids are up to. And Marie just like pops up in his face. And it's like that fucking dog, you know, all day. Um, and we get a little, hello, it'd be nice from Alan and it's like, yeah. And you're just like, I just want to hit this guy, man. No, it's like, you shit, <laughs> you shit, you know, there's stuff that's going on and you know that, you know, you're having a hard time with your relationship, but you're just being an ass right now. Um, and he they, plays it so well too. that actor, yeah. like he plays that type of, of smarmy guy of like what do you mean like yeah, so well you're like words oh, I... out of my head because i would have called him yeah. smarmy as well uh-huh. um but yeah he goes and unlocks his office and the dog's not in there and we cut right back to the present and tim is like you're not remembering this correctly the dog was sick he, you know, was, you know, throwing up all the time and having accidents everywhere. He was not well. He was not the same dog. And we get things from Tim's perspective in that um, ultimately the dad had taken the dog to the vet and mom got the phone call that the dog was being put down and 
that's how it really happened. Um, and you know, Tim basically calls her out, Kaylee out and says, you know, you're creating false memories. Um, yeah, I love this part. Cause I feel like this is the first time, like I was just believing the mirror the whole time. And then this, at this point, I'm like, this is a good point to like mm -hmm. for the movie to check in with you. Be like, maybe actually we're, maybe Kaylee is like misremembering. It's like, yeah, it sows that down into you're like, okay, maybe Tim's right. Like, that is kind of a crazy story. Like, and everything is so small at this point. Like, those small insidious things that you're just like, okay, like, a lot of this stuff could be misconstrued. Yeah, and a dog like disappearing in an office is uh, kind mm -hmm. of a big deal, right? It's He's not a yeah. small dog. Uh, like we said, no. he's, like, he's like a great big dumb lab. You know, you, again, your typical family dog, right? And... Uh, yeah, uh, back in the past, uh, the kids wake up in the middle of the night, uh, you know, hearing their folks arguing and, um, you know, Marisol is brought up and, um, yeah, um, Tim back in the present talks about how it, he was having an affair. All the signs were there and, uh. You know, Kaylee is like, you know, no, no, I checked. I, there were no credit card records or phone records or anything like that that would, you know, hint towards anything like that happening. And Tim just pushes the point like, nah, dad was good at, you know, covering that kind of stuff up. Right. Um, mm. Yeah, it's um, they are arguing like crazy about all this stuff. Um, and Kaylee's convinced that it was more than that. She, she points to minor changes in the room. Like, uh, the temperature went up two degrees. Uh, the dog under the sheet is just barking like crazy. She accidentally calls dog Mason at this point. Yes. Such a little subtle thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and Tim has enough at this point and he frees dog and, you know, basically blames their experiences on psychosis. And, you know, the, the dog races out of the room and Tim heads off after it. And, you know, Kaylee tries to stop him, but he lets the dog outside and they continue to argue to the point where Kaylee steps back in front of the doorway of the office, but then just pauses just you know gobsmacked by something and tim walks over to her and they find that all the cameras have been positioned at least the ones on tripods have been repositioned to face into each other so they're not recording anything and the plants have been kind of clustered together around the cameras and they're all dying and and it, it's such an impactful like coming upon this scene you're just like oh, okay we you so doubt in us and then immediately showed us that it was real <laughs> yep and and kaylee just immediately to tim is like <laughs> and uh you know she goes and uh retrieves some of the cameras and she repositions one of the tripod cameras to face one of the computer monitors so they can watch back the video and it plays the same argument that they were having but while they were arguing they themselves were repositioning everything in the room yeah it's so, so cool and it's so it is another like 
fun dichotomy between the two of them. Like, she responds, like, in triumph because she's like, oh, I finally proved to you that this was real. And he responds in absolute horror. And he's like, holy shit, this stuff that I had been, you know, explained away my whole life that the people in the institution had told me, oh, this is not real. These are these are things that you made up in your mind. You're misremembering. Like, all of a sudden, he's questioning. Like, it confirms her reality and and um directly opposes like what his reality was and you see that in their responses to that that situation yeah her phone rings and it's michael checking in i think we forgot to bring this up that she's got her fiance calling every hour on the hour to check in and I love how she chides him too. She's like, you really need to call me on the hour. Cause he calls her like three minutes late the first right. time. Right. And uh, yeah. And she's like, I'll see you in, or I'll talk to you in 57 minutes. And um, yeah. Um, when he calls, I'm fairly certain everything that he says is everything that he said in the prior phone call. And she also says to Tim 50, 50, if that was even him. And yeah, she does. She acknowledges it, that she's like, I don't even know if that was real. Yep. And Tim's freaking out and needing to call his doctor. And she's like, no, 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 you can't do this in here. You have to go outside. You got to be outside the sphere of influence. And, you know, they, they, they walk back out into the rest of the home and you can see by the level of the plants as they go, you know, maybe this mirror has an effect within like 30, 40 feet, something like that. Cause some of the plants are fine. And she's like, you got to go outside. And he goes out to call his doctor and, you know, we get the, your call cannot be completed as dialed thing. And he's having his freak out and his sister calls to him and he snaps too. And he's still on the inside of the door and he just kind of collapses. Yeah. And he's like, "I, I, I was outside and she's like, no, you walked over to the door and you just sat down. It's it that's like it, you know like this I feel like is really weird like the movie like takes off where you're like okay well now I never know what's really happening yeah. like I I think this is where like she feels vindicated I think a little bit oh yeah um yeah she even I says to him would you be willing to talk about this on camera yeah but I'm like this is the part where I'd be like we need to get out of here like oh, yeah because now we can never like it's getting. She also says, like, it's getting stronger, I think, right? Like, mm-hmm. as it's feeding off of them and the dog and everything. Um, I'm like, if you cannot, if you can't tell your reality anymore, there's nothing you can do because anything that you do, you won't be able to rely on. That's what you're actually yeah. doing. Like, it's like this weird cyclical thinking that's impossible to get out of. And it's like, how can you, you just can't make any good decisions if you can't trust what you're doing or you're seeing. Yep. Um, let's so see. Scary. Back in the past, we've got uh, the kids, you know, bored and watching TV, and they can hear their mother vacuuming in the office. And she's just like, just stuck staring in the into the mirror. And um, then cut to a little bit later that evening, she's pounding Merlot while the kids eat like this badly, badly burnt toast. Meal. Yeah, I, I think they were like really badly burnt grilled cheeses and they had like tomato uh, okay. soup or something like that. I thought that. it was just a pile of burnt 
toast. And I was like, that is really phoning it in. Wine and toast oh, yeah. for dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's questioning the kids about Marisol. And um, while Kaylee only saw her that first day, Tim says that he saw her again on the stairs, but he was too scared to see, you know, what she was up to. So he just saw her return to the office. And then he says one of the creepiest things ever that he thinks she lives there. Yes. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> that is not okay. No, when your kids is creepy shit like that. No. You leave your house and you never come back. Yes. Kill it with fire. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to say another thing like relates to this and then other Flanagan films too, which is like <laughs> the kids in this are fantastic. Like, oh, yeah. I, they're so good. And I think that, that, Mike Flanagan works with a lot of children throughout yeah. his work and they're always so good. Oh, yeah. And I feel like he just must have a good way with kids or a good sense for like kid actors because they're so fantastic. Yeah. And a lot of them are very, very young too. Uh, mm -hmm. I know the girl that plays uh, Kaylee, uh, the younger version of Kaylee goes on to play the older daughter in uh, Ouija origin of evil. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember if the kid that plays young Tim does other stuff in Flanagan. He's been, films. yeah, I'm not sure either, um, but they're both great. And um, I just, I'm like, how does he, he has so like this, like, yeah, another group of children <laughs> that are yeah. all in all of his stuff that are so fantastic. And they're, yeah. they, they have to do a lot too. They're, they're really holding the emotional weight of the second act, like the second act of the movie where it's like, if you don't believe in Tim and Kaylee's fear, like, I think a lot of the stuff couldn't hit but they're playing it so well that you're like really attached and feeling for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, something that I really appreciate about child actors in like maybe the past 20, 30 years. They've really broken out from the, we need a 15 year old to play a 10 year old type of uh, yes. trope. <laughs> Uh, they mm. have found young actors that are able to hold their own and actually portray their own age or at least a lot closer to it. And, yeah. and, and I feel like a lot of filmmakers have just had like more faith in mm. using younger actors to actually do this kind of stuff. It's, and thank God for it. It's cause we, we need to stop with the, 30 year olds playing high school students. You yes. Know, the, the only time that that's acceptable is if we're watching like another season of wet, hot American summer or something, you know, <laughs> cause then it's part yes. of the joke. Agreed. But, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then we get Marie investigating the office and she looks kind of in his stack of paperwork or under the blotter or something like that. And she founds, finds like the most like middle school, junior high page <laughs> yes. of writing somebody's name over and over again with Marisol, Marisol, Marisol Chavez, um, all over. And she kind of loses it and she knocks his shit off of his desk. Of course, breaking the photo frame, you know, like you do in these types of mm -hmm. situations. Right. And 
she, you know, you think she's kind of pulling her shit together, but no, she, in this fit of rage, she grabs this little small pot that he was using as like a pencil holder or whatever. And she goes to whip it at the mirror and clearly misses. And this is when the lasser glass takes its revenge on her. Yes. Uh, this part is so creepy. Yeah, we get a good dolly zoom with it. it. Yeah. Um, and it starts pulling her into the glass. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, so she's stuck in front of the mirror and um, Tim steps up behind her. And she turns around and starts strangling him. Uh, but the kids manage to get away and, you know, she chases them upstairs, but they managed to lock themselves in one of their rooms. Uh, we get Alan coming home to find her just wailing on the bedroom door. And um, they kind of tussle with each other and he chokes her out. Um yeah. He's like, it's fine, kids. It's yeah. fu-. He's yeah. so like nonchalant. It's, it's, kids it's cool. We're, we're good. <laughs> good. Mom's just taking a little nap. Um, but yeah. And he actually, you know, he tells them to go back into the rooms and he's going to handle things. And he pulls his phone out to dial nine one one, but the mirror has other plans. Um, and it's like, you hear the audio on the phone like just changing in mid phone call Mm -hmm. and you see his face just kind of sort of, you know, just go into complete deadpan and he puts his phone away. And next thing you know, he's chaining mom up in the bedroom, um, with a dog chain, no less. Um, so dark. Yeah. Do we, do you think she's like possessed? Is that what you think, like, when she got into the mirror or where? Yeah. This is something along like, those I lines. I guess it's a possession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, one of the creepiest bits during this whole exchange after he chokes her out is when Kaylee's peeking through the doorway and she sees her father carrying the dog chain and he also has a hammer And she asks him, you know, what's going on or is mom okay or whatever. And he points the hammer at her and tells her to, Mm -hmm. you know, just go back in your room. It's. Yeah. Like I'm going to use this on you if you don't go back in there. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely the vibe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we get like the next day, Alan telling the kids that mom is sick and you need to leave her alone. And we cut back to the present at this point and, uh, we've got Kaylee, uh, needing help changing the bulbs that have been burned out by the mirror. And we get in this sequence, a ton of flashing back and forth between the timelines and lights popping out in both timelines. And while she's changing these, Tim can see her just standing in front of a camera in the, uh, the, the computer monitors. It's, there's a lot happening here. There is. Well, and this is the part of the movie where I'm not sure. Like sometimes it seems like the way that they edit it and put it together. Like sometimes it seems like they can see each other, like the older versions and the younger versions can see each other like across time. And I feel like, 
it's really cool and interesting because I'm like, maybe they can or maybe they just yeah. feel like they're experiencing what each other is experiencing and like being able to like remember more of the past. So he's seeing more of the past self and she's seeing more of her past self, but also like the sort of cyclical nature of the of the mirror and like getting what it wants sort of thing. It's just it starts. Yeah, happening like they're switching back through the timelines mm -hmm. and overlapping them so much. It really emphasizes that like what is real? What is happening? Yeah, and that sort back of thing. and forth nature is also the mirror just trying to separate them so it can have mm -hmm. its way with both of them as well. Yes. Um, because, yeah, uh, we get Kaylee. Um, one of the timers goes off and she's like, time to eat. And she throws an apple into his hand and takes one herself. And she steps off into the kitchen. She's got an apple in one hand and a box of light bulbs in the other. And, you know, I, I, unfortunately, the trailer ruined all this for us before we ever saw this yes. movie. But, uh, but we get one of the well, most. Well, I didn't see the trailer. Oh, you are so I was so very surprised fortunate. by this the first time. Yeah. You are so fortunate because. I spent the entire movie waiting for this thing to happen because it's so disturbing, but uh, you can kind of see where this is coming because they're very similarly sized objects. Um, she sits the box down, uh, munches on the apple, puts that down on the counter and she's like calling out to Tim, trying to figure out where he is or whatever. And mm -hmm. She steps away from the counter with the apple in hand. You see her from behind, raise it up to her mouth. You hear her bite down, but you hear the, sound the here. crunch <laughs> of biting into glass. And you see at her feet, shards of glass falling. And I, I'm glad that they don't show the bite into the light bulb itself. I no, think me it's, too far more effective not seeing that um but yeah it's not really gory either like they show some blood and then she pulls like the one piece out of her mouth yeah. kind of slowly yeah she's but I like think it's the trying perfect to amount spit of out glass as well and oof it's the perfect amount of gore i think i also do think i want to say like i think the scare is amazing but i also feel like using this as the primary like marketing or like telling people about this movie is doing it such like a disservice because yeah. it's so much more than this. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's like what we're talking about, like with the with the levels and like the drama and all of this context and subtext of trauma and all that stuff. It's like this is a really cool scare, but it's so like this the nuances and the layers are like so much more than this. I'm like, I was talking to someone recently and they're like, Oh, is that the movie where she bites into the light bulb? And I was like, yeah, but that's just like a piece of it. And that's right. just a small piece. But like, there's so much more you don't even comprehend, you know? Yeah. And, and again, just the mirror fucking with her as far as we know, mm -hmm. because Tim finds her and she's fine. And she realizes yeah. that she's fine, but in the mirror fucking with her, it's setting up her expectations for things later where she's just mm -hmm. expecting that that's all it is. And this is where they realize, okay, we got to stick together. It's, and, and I think this is also well, happening. It's in exerting the farther. Yeah. It's also exerting farther, right? Like that's yeah. part of it too. Like she was supposed to be out of the range, but she wasn't. Yep. Yep. Um, and we cut back to the past and the kids are absolutely bored to death and they're hungry. 
the cable goes out either because the mirror is fucking with them or because uh, dad hasn't been paying the cable bill. It's uh, it could be both. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they go and they check the fridge and you see like an inch of milk in the carton. And, uh, you know, there's like a jar with one pickle in it or whatever it is. It's a bleak fridge, right? Um, so Kaylee goes to talk to dad and he's like, uh, yeah, groceries, I'll put it on the list. And, you know, mom needs help. Yep. I'll put it on the list as she's just sitting there in his office, staring at the mirror, doing nothing, not turning around to talk to her or anything. It's, um, yep. Yep. And I think this is where she says to Tim how they're going to have to get really, really brave. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, also mom is just kind of wasting away upstairs. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Kaylee is fed up. She wants to go tell Marie about the situation. And this is where Marie attacks her all chained up and kind of like bruised up and bloody. Uh, and you know, Alan finds them and he grounds them, tells them they're not to leave the house. Um, but Kaylee sneaks out. Well, they try calling a doctor first and the doctor. That's so creepy too. Yep. Because the, do- well, the doctor on the phone call that we hear tells them that they need one of their parents to call. And when she hangs up the phone, she says to Tim, which is exactly what the last doctor said. And she makes yeah, and you see them with the phone book that they had called a bunch of them, and it was the same voice and the same thing every time. Oh, so creepy. Yes. Um. So yeah, from there, let's see. They decide it's time to go for a neighbor, and uh, they march across the lawn. And next thing you know, the neighbor's knocking at the door. And I love that Alan stands in the doorway not letting the guy in and he's got a bloody hand in blood. that he's smearing all over the molding on the inside of the doorway. And he basically, um, you know, shakes things off as Kaylee using her mother's ins- uh, illness to get attention. And the neighbor's like, Oh, wait till she starts driving. And they, ha ha This ha. scene pisses me off so bad. Yep. Like, it's that it's that like sort of like oh and I'll see you for golf later ne- right like it's such yeah. like the old boys do the like, back oh, nine at Arrowhead yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Girls, are, girls are just like little crazy liars and yeah like oh my god uh, they're I just hysterical these men. yeah yeah <laughs> yes. you want to smack the shit out of these people for sure mm-hmm. um and then. We get uh, this cool match cut of past to present as Tim is staring off into space. There, there's there's a ton of cool match cuts in this movie. It's really really cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and this is one of the parts where we it starts to get really really hard to keep track of past present and hallucination, um, mm. because we get the power going out in the present, and. Um, I can't remember if um, it's past him or present Tim who's sort of attacked by Marisol in the office and he kind of yeah, gets chased upstairs because again, yeah. it's very unclear which version of himself he is. 
Um, and then Kaylee is attacked by her mom's doppelganger as she finds all this, um, broken, uh, uh, I think it's broken plates. Uh, yeah, her mom's been eating, like chewing on plates, right? which is such a disturbing thing to watch. Oh yeah. There's like chunks of flesh falling out of her mouth as she's Mm -hmm. going to town on this plate. Um, so she's attacked by her mom's, you know, mirror eyed doppelganger and she stabs her in the neck with one of the shards of the plates only to find that it's Michael come to check on her. And she's like, no, no, this can't be. And then the phone rings and it's Michael checking on her, except it's the same conversation as every other time. And she's thinking that maybe the phone call means that she didn't kill him. And Tim has rushed in at this point, but, um, nope, he did. Um, my question for this is that she uses the cell phone to check that he's dead because mm-hmm. it'll come through, but yeah, I, and the camera like, or whatever, but the would affect the cell phone too. I yeah. Think. I mean, that's already been established in that, uh, you know, they try to call people and it's the mirror pretending to be whoever they're calling or whatever. Um, yeah. Um, Tim goes outside and tries calling nine one one and tells Kaylee that they just need to wait for the kitchen timer to go off and kill the mirror. They just need Mm -hmm. to hang tight and not do anything. And they look back at the house and they see doppelgangers of themselves standing in front of the mirror in the office. Um, and then Tim tries. Yeah, and they're like, oh, that's just a trick to get us back in there, is what right. one of them says. But then Tim tries calling 911 again, and the voice on the other end of the line is the mirror. And it, you know, basically does the whole, you know, you should get one of your parents to call thing at him as it's so kind creepy. of like distorting and breaking up and all that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, back in the past, uh, the kids see their dad loading his gun. And they decide they need to smash the mirror, uh, jump to the present. And we find Marisol, uh, talking to them in their dad's voice, which is pretty unsettling. Um, Mm -hmm. and back in the past, we've got Marie eating more of the plates and this is where Alan lets her off her leash and they make it seem like she's going to attack him at first. But no, it's like they're kind of on mission together. It's like it's time to do something about these willful kids, right? These Uh, crazy kids. I know. Um, One way or the other, uh, they're they're trapped upstairs while something is pounding on the door. Uh, We get the... The past kids need to smash the mirror. The present kids need to get to the timer to stop the anchor in case they're really standing in front of the mirror because they're unsure if they are or not. Uh, because the they are seeing themselves standing immediately in front of the lasser glass, you know, where they would be in the path of the anchor. Yeah. Um, they would both be immediately executed. Yep. Uh, and let's see here. Uh, we get past Kaylee, um, 
as they see their window, and this is a callback to the scene that opens the film, uh, where they burst out of the bedroom and make a run for it. And uh, Kaylee's got the golf club. And I, I love the shot of them, you know, hurrying down the hall, uh, the upstairs hallway, and she's got the golf club in her hands. It looks fantastic. Uh, and they mm. look scared as fuck. Um, mm -hmm. It's... And of course they get to a corner and mom pops up from behind the banister and she comes at them and Kaylee smacks mom with the golf club. I mean, really gets her good too. Um, and then <laughs> she runs She's off. <laughs> yup. Yup. Just about, um, <laughs> she runs off to a bedroom to hop out a window and luckily she doesn't kill herself jumping out of a second story window. She, she lands in the grass and looks back up and she sees, um, some of the dead staring at her from the first floor windows. Uh, we get past him running from his father and present Tim confronting his father who aims the gun at him and pulls the trigger. We see, past Kaylee from the outside witnessing the muzzle flash from a window in the house. Um, so who knows if, uh, dad was shooting <laughs> yeah, at Tim. So oh God. So intertwined. Um, let's see here. We got, well, I also, Oh, go ahead. I didn't consider until you were kind of talking about it too, which is like also some of the times that we're seeing them as kids, could be them in the present feeling like their child selves. Yeah. Like it's so like being like, Oh, being in this situation again, makes me feel like I felt that day. Sure. It's like, that's why we're seeing them as kids. And like, and there's like so many different interpretations you could go as if they're existing on the same plane. If they're seeing memories, if they're remembering things, if they're being themselves, but from a past, cause they're experiencing that trauma they felt as a kid. Like there's so many different ways you can perceive it, which I think is a really cool. Yes. And you get some of these scenes that fuck you with you on the extra level of we've got young Kaylee, but old Tim and vice versa yes. within the same scene too. It's yeah. Um, Flanagan was working overtime on this one and yes. uh, it shows, <laughs> um, let's see, we get, um, Present Kaylee entering the house again, seeing her dead fiance standing there and, you know, he's got the mirrored eyes and she is once again past Kaylee all of a sudden, who is now attacked by her mother choking her. And this is in the living room and it's um, in front of the couch. I think there's a little shot of uh, young Tim hiding in the kitchen, trying to wave her off because he's been hiding from uh, his dad. But uh, yeah, this is where she's attacked by her mother and uh, mom's got her on the ground with her hands around her throat. And Marie kind of starts coming to realizing what she's doing. But of yeah. course, right in this moment, she's shot by Alan and she goes down and Kaylee, you know, backs away and, you know, he, he fires again another time or two and, 
you know, the, the kids run, but unfortunately ghosts, we get, uh, you know, uh, Kate Siegel. And I think Mike Flanagan himself is one of the ghosts. Uh, yeah. If it's not him, it's his brother because his brother looks a lot like him and he uses him in his films all the time too. But, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of the ghosts kind of standing in front of the front doorway in the office, kind of blocking their path. Um, and we cut back to Alan finishing the job with Marie. Um, and yeah, now we got the kids watching their father stalk the house with the gun. Um, and they, they catch what they think is a good opportunity to strike at the mirror. And so they both grab golf clubs and they go, you know, we get that, uh, side view shot of them just kind of wailing away at it, but you don't hear anything because unfortunately it turns out they're just striking the wall. And that damn mirror. Uh huh. It'll get you every time. Um, mm -hmm. and this is where they turn around and there's dad with the gun and he's got one of the coolest little sets of lines in the film. The I've met my demons and they are many. I've seen the devil and he is me. And, oh, cool. and yeah. Tim had kind of backed away off to the side. And he says this as he's leveling the gun at Kaylee and, um, you know, she thinks she's done for, but, you know, Tim to the rescue, he wallops his dad's, uh, arm with a golf club, knocking it out of his hand. Uh, but Alan starts choking Kaylee because apparently she's just so chokeable in this film. Um, everybody wants to choke Kaylee. Tim probably wants to choke Kaylee. Um, <laughs> But, uh, Tim picks up the gun and tells Alan to let her go. Um, and Alan gets on his knees and I, I he kind of comes to in this moment because he gets on his knees and he puts his hand around the gun and tells them to run just before he presses, he depresses Tim's finger on the trigger, basically killing himself, but also forcing his son to kill him, which is horrible. Um, dark, very dark, very dark. But I think he also realizes that he's just that consumed by the mirror and there's not a lot of hope for him. Um, but he did. Um, they're confronted by more ghosts and the ghosts all open their mouths to, you would assume kind of like scream and shriek at them but the sound you hear is alarms going off and we get present yeah. Tim so creepy. waking up seated with his, you know, right in front of the mirror with his back to the mirror and, you know, just kind of like coming back to reality. Right. And, um, we get past Kaylee in the office alone and seeing her mother on the inside of the mirror and like beckoning towards exactly. her. Exactly. And she's drawn to her, of course. And we get the cool bit of her mother reaching out from the mirror, which is a really neat effect because you can see all the, um, all the, the, the wear and aging, uh, of the glass itself, mm -hmm. but she's still coming through it. Yeah. It's really cool. It, it's, looks great. Right. Um, and they embrace and the music kind of swells here. Um, and, 
uh, President Tim is like, fuck this. And he goes for the kill switch and he just cranks that timer to zero, releasing the anchor only to find that his sister has been standing in front of the mirror the whole he time. Take <laughs> blow. I love how the um, closed caption says wet thudding. No, thank you. Closed captions. No, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it, 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 again, thankfully, you don't see the shot and it's made more horrific by not seeing it again. Mm-hmm. Mike, Mike knows what he's doing here. Um, Mm -hmm. in the past, we've got the siblings making their promise as the police arrive, um, that, you know, when they get the opportunity, when they're, when they're older, they're going to do something about this. And in the present, Tim is standing by his dying sister, screaming her name as you see the life just, yeah, I think she even lets out sort of a dying breath that fogs the mirror a little bit. And it's so sad. His face in this scene is like heartbreaking. Oh yeah. Where he's like, like, no, no, I thought it was over. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, in both timelines, uh, Tim is screaming out that it wasn't him, but it was the mirror. And I love that, that mirror, that, that is mirrored, right? Like mm-hmm. that, the, his experience is mirrored across all of those years. It's yep. so sad. Yeah, as well. So, like, cool. Oh, yeah. It's, it, again, oh, lovely symmetry. It, uh, you know, it all comes back. And in both timelines, he looks back at the house to see the dead staring back at him. In the past, mm-hmm. he sees his, you know, mom and his dad. In the present, he sees his mom and dad and sister staring at him. Um, and in both time periods, he's put in the back of the police cruiser as he has his massive freak out and credits that's, um, left with a pretty dark ending. What a film though. Oh my God. Yes. Um, it it really, it really weighs on you, but like in a good way, it gives you so much to think about and so many feelings. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's um I I I really appreciate you wanting to bring this one to the table because it's not a film of Flanagan's that I've thought of as often as some others. And I think rewatching it several times in um quick succession, I've gotten um so much more out of it. This is absolutely a film that rewards repeat viewings. Um mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a cheat to say about some films in that, you know, you're not going to appreciate it until you see it many times before. Well, is that saying that the film doesn't do a good job of, uh, you know, doing what it's supposed to, to begin with? Mm. Well, not necessarily. No, it's, uh, some films are a little bit more of a puzzle box. Um, Maybe look at freaking David Lynch. Um, but um, <laughs> well, it's like just like we were saying, like you can look at it from just a story about a haunted mirror, and like that's mm-hmm. it if you want to. Yeah. Oh, but there's also all this other stuff that we talked about over the last however many minutes we've been recording. Like there is, like I think <laughs> you get text. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> and some of it's really on the nose. Some of it's very heavy handed, but a lot of it is uh, quite a bit more subtle too. So. Um, it's, there are levels in this film for sure. And that's, that's wonderful. Um, 
Uh, Madeline, any final thoughts on Oculus? I don't know. I think I think kind of like just the thesis of what we were saying, which is just there's so much to this. And I feel like the way it is like a puzzle box, like you're saying, like, I think it's definitely one people should go back and give another watch or a first watch if you've never seen it, because there is all of these little puzzle pieces. And I think especially like if you liked some of Lanigan's later work, there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of kernels of things that he grew from this piece. And I think Oculus is, if I'm not mistaken, like a, a big passion of his. Obviously, it started as a, sh as a short film and then became a feature film. I think the mirror is in other of his work. Nearly every other thing that he's yeah. ever done, it is in at least one scene somewhere. It's, uh, yeah, it's, um, and I think it has like, a presence. Yeah, it definitely has a resonance. And I think it's just like, there's so much you can kind of pull out of this. I think, I think that's, like I said previously, like one of the things I really like about him is that yeah. he does have so much you can kind of chew through. But you can also, it's also really, it's enjoyable on every level. Because I think there's some things that have a lot to chew through and maybe you, you necessarily can't enjoy it on a surface level. Like... But I feel like I enjoy his things on every single level. Yeah. And I love how much care he put into the story. And I love, I just kind of love everything about it, I guess. Yeah. I feel like it, it just has such interesting things to say about um, the mun. It makes the mundane horrors of life seem so much more than they are. And I think that's like a really powerful skill of his. Yeah. Well, like we've been joking about recently, the horrors persist, but so do we. Um, yes. You know, one, one final thing that I will say about this is that, um, you know, as much as we talk about how it, this isn't quite peak Flanagan quite yet, but I really think the quality of acting in this film mm -hmm. helps to buoy up any, uh, any uh, shortcomings. It's not that they really are shortcomings, but it's just the strength of the acting really does an amazing job with this film. And how dare people not, you know, really lift this one up when it was first released. Exactly. Like, what is it? 10 years ago. You guys now. all did a bad job. <laughs> no, bad. I'm just kidding. For but shame. You could do a good job now by watching it and appreciating it. And I agree with you totally. I feel like honestly, everyone's, you know, I think we, the directors, because they are the director, get so much credit. And, but I also want to give credit to everyone else who worked on this film because I think everyone is kind of operating. Like we talked about, the acting is phenomenal. I think mm -hmm. the script is really good. I think like the sound design and the music and the way they use that is really strong. Like I think everyone is operating at a really high capacity. I feel similarly to Hush, which is like, I think because it's a smaller, very self-contained project, yeah. it's like a, a, a single location mm -hmm. and a small cast. Like people feel like maybe it's like not as grandiose as some of his later works, but just like Hush, I feel like it's so tight. Everything works. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing I can really, I, I don't really have any negative things to say about it. And that I like pretty much everything about it. <laughs> 
yeah, it's, um, if nothing else, thank you for, uh, you know, helping me get a little bit of a better appreciation out of this one by, yeah. uh, by suggesting this one. So, um, thanks for letting much. me talk about Mike Flanagan. Cause I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> we'll, we'll find another excuse to do it at some other time. I'm sure. Yes. Um, cause it's always fun to do. And I love talking horror movies with you. So it's, uh, always a great opportunity to do this and I'm sure we'll do it again. Um, Madeline, if you'd like, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at Mad Exposure everywhere. I stream on Twitch most Wednesdays. Not this Wednesday because we're recording on a Wednesday, oh. but um, stream on Twitch and um, on Mad Exposure on Twitter, which I try to get away from, but it keeps bringing me back in. That's where a lot of my friends are. I know. As long as y'all are still there, I'll be there too. It's it is what it is. I know um yeah. one day we'll move over to blue sky or something but. something yeah it's just uh nothing has kind of coalesced as the uh you know as the place to go so far so here we sit yeah, i feel like all the gaming people are still on twitter i'm like once they move i'll move <laughs> yeah yeah or once we all uh you know the the main group seems to all be on discord or whatever you know um but we, mm -hmm. we got some people that just don't really do discord it's um yeah but i don't know we'll just continue to see it evolve and we'll see what we got to do from there but you can also wow. find me on letterbox yes because that's where i do all my all my film things yes 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 and i love letterbox i i made an effort to use it quite a bit more in the past year. I need to make even more of an effort to interact with people on it. Um, yeah, I do too. Like, like people's reviews and leave comments. Yeah, exactly. I, I almost feel like I'm being intrusive doing that on letterbox for some reason. <laughs> and I don't know. I shouldn't feel that way because it is something of a social platform still. It's, um, yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. Well, Thank you again for stopping by. Uh, always a pleasure. But this is thanks bad. for having me. Of course, of course. It's uh, again. We'll do this again. It's uh, it's. You're always a fun guest, Madeline. Um, but this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us stickle your ear holes. Please like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. I'll be back soon enough with another episode. But until next time, stay spoopy, everyone.